0: This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hire to get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directly. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Mobile. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. All right. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, Welcome to Adventures in Angular, episode 63. I almost said 163, but we're not quite there yet. (laughs) This week uh, on our panel, we have Lucas Rubelke. Hello. Uh, We also have a few uh, guests joining us. We have uh, Rob Wormald. Hello. Uh, We also have Patrick Stapleton. Hey, guys. John and Ward are going to be joining us here in a little bit. John had to go pick up one of his kids and Ward, I guess, is watching his other kids, which is kind of a scary proposition if you really think about that. But anyway, so we are doing this on Crowdcast. If you're watching it on YouTube Live, you probably want to head over there. Crowdcast.io slash e slash charleswood5 is where it's at. And there's a chat room and some Q&A. So we'll just go ahead and uh, start with the first question in there, mainly because this is something that I am curious about. And I I also have uh, this question got asked to Brad Green when we did Angular Remote Conf, and so there was some interesting feedback there too. But uh, the question is basically, I'll just read it word for word. It says, first and most important question. Actually, I don't think the feedback was from Brad. I think it was from another episode of the show. Anyway, when is Angular 2 out? But seriously, with Angular 2 final nowhere in sight, do you feel that other frameworks cough, react, are starting to become more popular, and will people bother to go back to Angular 2 once they have learned React? I'm holding out learning yet another framework, but it's becoming more and more difficult as employers start moving over to React. And then in parentheses, he says, I'm a contractor, and I've recently started noticing employers wanting React over Angular.
1: The short answer is it'll be, I guess it'll be ready when it's ready, so there's not like a good answer to that question. But I think the second part of the question, you know, like, will people come back? I think the, the short answer to that is yes. Like, it's crazy fast. Um, like, I'm, I'm quite a fan of React. Really like there's a Love
0: lot of... Oh, it hey, like it's got Ward this, and is right.
1: this is a backup.
2: This is an old show.
0: Yeah, we, we brought in some help because we couldn't find you guys.
3: Ward and John 2.0. Yeah. Wait a minute, show. What's going on here?
0: We're answering questions. <laughs> We're talking about uh, why people should do React. <laughs>
3: But more importantly, Ward, are you even wearing pants right now? That's what everybody wants to know. He's stunned into silence.
1: This is he's, a, he's a muted. <laughs> Nobody can hear you, Ward. I didn't
2: realize you were live. Yeah, we are live. <laughs> wow, I'm messing up the show. It's all good. All right. Well, here I am, a face in the dark. It's good to see friends, though.
3: Ward, don't be alarmed, but there's a really tall, bald guy right behind you. Oh, oh my God. <laughs>
2: Okay, so I have totally derailed you. How far into the show are we?
0: Oh, we just started. The question that we're answering is basically, and and I think we've talked about this on past episodes, but when is Angular 2 going to be out? We don't know. So since we don't know when it's going to be out, um, looks like more people are moving over toward React, and are they going to come back? Uh, Should we hold out learning React you know, and this is asked by a contractor who's starting to notice people moving to React because Angular Two is an out.
1: Mm. Wow, it's all Rob's fault.
0: <laughs> well, Rob was actually going to explain to us. So,
1: so yeah, I guess the, that's the first. The first part of that question, like when is it out? Short answer is when it's ready. I think when it's when it's awesome. Um, will people come back? And should you what learn React in, instead of this? Um, a, I think, yeah, people will come back because it's incredible. Even in the sort of early state it's in right now, it's it's awesome. It's crazy awesome. And like, should you learn React? I think that as, as like an Angular guy, right, I think that React is a really cool framework, and I think that, I don't want to say that Angular 2 kind of learns from React, but I think there's a lot of kind of similar conceptual stuff, and I think that learning a little bit of React is not a bad thing, and I think it would probably help you be better at Angular 2, would be the way I would put that, right? Like, you, you can use Angular 2 very much in a way that you're used to using Angular 1, but you can use Angular 2 also in, in much more of a sort of Reacty one-way data flow kind of way, right? So, yeah, I think, I think anything you do with React is, is going to help you with Angular 2 when you get to that point, and I think a lot of the same sort of principles apply be my answer for
2: that. Yeah, I think it's a great thing to learn a variety of frameworks just like it's a great idea to learn a, mul- uh, a bunch of languages. I would go look at Aurelia too. I think you should survey the field. I'd look at Ember because they've been making changes. If you're of the mindset To be looking at frameworks right now and trying to make decisions, I think you should survey the field because, uh, like learning other languages and databases and so forth, you get important insights into what it is that you finally want to do. And then when the time comes to make a choice, you can make it. And and as Rob says, I think many people will find Angular 2 to be a fine choice.
0: You had me until you said Ember. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's interesting, though, because a lot of times we feel like we've kind of picked Angular, and people don't want to be wrong, but and the other thing is, is you know, I feel this camaraderie with other Angular folks that if I go and find out that React actually is better, then my life has changed, you know, <laughs> good, good thing or bad thing, you know, you can make that uh, distinction, but yeah, overall, I, I completely agree, I mean, go learn the way that they do things, and then, you know, if it turns out that you miss Angular land, then come back, and if you find out that React is better for certain applications, then use the right
1: tool. I mean, the big secret is that, like, the Angular team and the React team talk, and they, you know, like, Angular 2 will theoretically be able to use React Native, right? Like, there's kinds of... There's not like it's a do one or the other for the rest of your life. There's a lot of overlap and everybody's friends, and I I don't think that the sort of framework wars are are as they say they are, but...
0: I I don't want to hear this. I'm an Angular purist.
3: (laughs) But let me well, jump in here real yeah. quick. I think there's a lot to be said about actually going to other frameworks and seeing how they're doing things because a lot of times we get blinders on of like, well, this is how Angular does it, and that's as far as we go. And so going at looking at like React and being like, well, hey, like what is this functional reactive thing that I've been hearing about? Or, you know, even entirely different languages to the point where I think a lot of really good ideas in JavaScript have actually come from the closure camp. And so, for instance, functional JavaScript, which was written by Michael Fogus. He's a closure guy, and it's just a phenomenal you know, piece of work that he's put together around functional programming in JavaScript, and so just going out and trying new things expands your horizons, and you can always come back to, to Angular or whatever framework you use, but now you've got a different perspective, which I think ultimately makes you a better developer.
1: And I think, you know, we're all used to, the, like, the Angular way, right? Like, do it the Angular way. And I think that the fact that Angular 2 is, is very much, like, a, a kind of ground-up, brand-new framework means that, like, the Angular way that we know may not be the Angular 2 way, right? And I think it's I think it's good to go and see what the other guys are doing, as Lucas says, to kind of see what maybe is the, the better way to do Angular 2. What's the next Angular 2 way to do things?
4: Yeah, I think, like, um, venturing out to other frameworks and everything is good for getting perspective and like, different ways of doing things. So, like, I created a list called Awesome Angular 2 to showcase, like, the breadth of the Angular 2 ecosystem, how it's gonna grow. Essentially, it's showing, like, Angular 2 in, like, different languages other than just JavaScript, and this is to kind of show that, like, there's other parts of the ecosystem that's going to branch out. Like, uh, example, like, what came out of Clojure, all the cool stuff that came out of Clojure that leaked into JavaScript because of React, Um, we're gonna see the exact same thing in Angular 2. Uh, When it's released, and we see, like, how it ties into these other ecosystems and how, like, the developers there will start contributing to their version of Angular 2, which will trickle down to the JavaScript version, but then everyone kind of wins. So it's, like, the number one thing about Angular, in my opinion, is the community, and that's just because of, like, how, like, uh, the community was born, and I think because of that, like, that's why you can't, like, ask a developer like, that's where you could go around and ask any, like, developer, and they, they pretty much know uh, about Angular, and that's that's because of the community. is like, so huge and everything.
0: I think a lot of the anxiety that comes out of this is, one, I mean, nobody wants to use old stuff, right? I mean, yeah. we all want to be using the latest and greatest thing, and so the fact that there's an Angular 2 somewhere out there on the horizon means that we want to be using it and we want to be a part of it the other thing is is that most frameworks that I've used either on the front end or the back end if there's a major version change like this, they are breaking changes and in incompatibilities. And so there's a lot of anxiety over the Angular two-way being so different from the Angular one-way that, you know, working in Angular 1 now basically is obsolete knowledge. And the feeling that I've gotten over and over and over again from the Angular team is that that just isn't the case here with Angular 2. But the other issue we have is then trying to explain this to people who aren't in the Angular space, you know, like our clients and our bosses. You know, we want to keep using the quote-unquote older technology or the technology that's kind of still coming out or, you know, that's already out rather than the stuff that's still coming out you know, they want to use the latest and greatest stuff too, and they don't understand that Angular 1 is still a powerful framework that does a lot of good things, so basically the thing that we're facing here is wanting to be up on this stuff, and then our bosses thinking, okay, well, let's just hold out until Angular 2, and they've been holding out for months now, and they're getting impatient because they want to get work
1: done. So I I think that, like, there's two parts to that, right, that... Yeah. The first yeah. is that the thing about Angular 2 is it's much closer to JavaScript, right? There's a lot less sort of Angulary things about it, right? And so in terms of, like, starting a new project today, I, I don't think it's, it's definitely not a good idea, and I'm not going to say on a podcast ever, like, Angular <laughs> 2 today, right? Like, not a good idea. But certainly be aware, like, go play with it, see how it works, and there's a lot you could do. Like, you could probably write, I don't know, your entire data layer of your application in such a way that it would be reasonably straightforward to drop it into an Angular 2 application. There's a lot you can kind of do that write code today that isn't going to sort of prevent you from moving to Angular 2 and it's ready. Um, And, of course, there's the whole ng-upgrade thing, right? So the ability Mm -hmm. to kind of run them interleaved with each other, which I think will be a huge thing. And we're just kind of just starting to see that evolve. But I think that that, as as a thing should hopefully sort of soothe a lot of those fears that people have, that it's gonna be pretty cool when they're sort of running, you know, one within the other. And so if you write an Angular 1 app today, and then, you know, a few months from now, you wanna be able to write an Angular 2 component for the first time and drop it into your Angular 1 app and kind of do it incrementally, that, to me, is a, is a really nice kind of middle ground solution, right? And, like, use TypeScript today would be my thing, right? If you use TypeScript today, everything's awesome. You're, like, 80% of the way to Angular 2 anyway, and it makes that kind of stuff nice and easy to drop in in the future.
0: The, the only other thing that I can see there, though, is people saying, okay, well, let's say I write in an Angular 1 now. Do I have to do a complete rewrite when I move to Angular 2? And what you're saying is, is if you do it in TypeScript, then not so much.
1: Well, I mean, I, I don't think TypeScript's not a requirement for that, but I think that the, the point is that if you write an Angular 1 app today, you'll be able to incrementally upgrade it to Angular 2 rather than gutting the whole thing and starting all over again. That's one of the big goals, I think, of the ng-upgrade project is to allow you to as things come online and as things are ready, you know, sort of swap it out piece by piece. So if you want to make a grid component in Angular 2 that's super fast and drop it into your Angular 1 app, you can do that, right? Um, so no, I, I don't think it's a, like a do one or the other kind of, kind of thing.
2: I also think that we put we put too much emphasis on the syntax and the technology and not enough on what I've always found to be the hard part of building an application, which is getting the design right, getting the user experience right, getting the flows right, figuring out what goes where, how, what's the structure of the approach, what's the nav- you know, how am I going to navigate, what should it do in terms of getting the data, what kind of data should it present. I mean, these are tough, tough questions, and you spend a lot of time building any application rethinking those things over and over again as you evolve and learn, really, what the application should do. And it's my sense that if you were to do that with the the sort of architectures and strategies that you know from Angular 1, that you end up in a place that isn't so distant from what you would do in Angular 2. You're still going to have to create those templates you're still going to have to figure out where it goes on the screen you're still going to be thinking in terms of uh, of dependency injection is the way the mechanism by which you assemble the parts you're still going to have a router and you're going to navigate from point a to point B so the syntax is going to change but the basic way in which you figured out what your application should do and how you should break it into parts that fit together at the level of the what's I think is the hard part of an application I think working in angular one puts you in great shape for going to an angular 2
0: so what you're saying is how you solve the problem is more important than how
2: cool your stack is? I'm afraid that uh, that is my position.
4: Yeah, I would, I would also agree with that, because like, the majority of the performance problems that people would run into with Angular 1 is the uh, developer code itself. Someone released a JS repaint challenge, which is really interesting because it's basically like measuring the, the repaint uh, rate for each framework. What was interesting is that if you actually look at the Angular 1 performance optimization version, which is just using Trackby, the Angular 2 and the React version, which is also optimized, you'll see that Angular 1 is actually faster than React. You'll see that Angular 2 is actually faster than React. And then you realize that the problem isn't really performance. It's really just the developer code. It's really just the developers writing more performant code or better organizations. Because that's what a framework really is, just allowing you to maintain your code in a better
3: way. And on top of that, even a lot of times people ask me, like, well you know, what's your best Angular advice for writing code? And actually, my playbook for that actually has nothing to do with Angular. It actually comes from Clean Code, which is actually kind of a Java-centric book, but it talks about, you know, kind of single responsibility things, you know, fine-grained code, and even up to the point where I actually went and read John Papa's Style Guide um, the other day, just start to finish, and a lot of the advice in there actually can be tied back to just general good programming principles. So, you know, they're not necessarily like Angular has introduced these new programming paradigms that have never existed, is that a lot of times if you have a good sense of what makes you know good code and you understand these best practices across the board, i.e. clean code or the style guide, then you know moving from one to two or any other language for that matter is not nearly as complex as it would appear to be because you have that strong foundation.
5: You know, I think there's a, there's a mental hurdle that a lot of people have when they're looking at learning new technologies. And keep in mind, we just came off of doing a hackathon for Angular 2 just yesterday. And I see this not just there, but in, in the enterprise that I work in and the people I talk to at conferences of, wow, there's so many things to look at when I'm solving this problem. And this could go with technology or building a house or having a family. When you look at the 5,000 things you have to do to accomplish to get to your goal, everything's overwhelming, everything is, oh my gosh, not only is my cheese moved, when it's not even cheese anymore. But you have to look at the problem and solve things one piece at a time. And when you look at what it takes to go from Angular 1 to Angular 2 or to go from another framework into Angular 2, which you've never done Angular 1, I think when you start taking the pieces apart, and as Ward said, how do I assemble my pieces? What are my pieces? You know, do I have something that does logic? Do I have a template somewhere? You start breaking these things down, they're not so hard. They're very discrete pieces that you can assemble on your own. Uh, when you start trying to figure out how all the plumbing's working and you look at everything as a whole, uh, you know, it's kind of the forest for the trees, it's overwhelming, like anything is. So I think the key here is to remember when you're looking at anything new, whether it's Angular or, or Go or whatever you're looking at, Docker, you want to make sure that you're looking at what do you want to accomplish, take it piece by piece, step by step. Uh, it's Everything's overwhelming when you do it all at once.
4: Yeah, more more on that point, like, one of the differences in Angular 1 and Angular 2 in terms of like architecture is component-driven design. And a component, you can think of it as just, in Angular 1, as just a controller, right? You have a controller, and then you have a template. Now, the difference between that and Angular 2 is that you have many components, and they go into each other. And what it's really doing is just um, allowing you to divide the problem into smaller sets so it's easy for you to reason about like what's going on. So like if you were to write uh, Angular 1-style application in Angular 2, you would have like three components or something, and then your template would be huge um, because you're to mimic the, the exact same like template design in Angular 1 and putting everything in the controller, in Angular 2's case, like component, which is just a class.
2: And I would argue that in, when I design my Angular 1 application, I'm constantly refactoring that down into what look like component, the, the components that they're going to be in, in, in Angular 2. It's kind of an anti-pattern in Angular 1 to have this gigantic Piece of HTML that goes on forever and a gigantic controller with thousands of lines in it. We've seen it, we've all seen it, but that's an anti pattern. That's not good Angular 1, and it's certainly not going to be good Angular 2. So if your practice of Angular 1 is good, I think you're going to end up with parts that translate very favorably over to Angular 2 when the time comes. I also want to say that this is, you know, we talked at the beginning like everybody loves everybody, you know, we got to look at everybody and it's not like we're going to give an award for participation at the end, you know, everybody goes home with a ribbon. I mean, we're ultimately <laughs> going to have to decide, okay? So you are going to make a decision and I think people will come down in different places, but I think that uh, Angular Two is going to win a lot of business because it's going to be that good. And it's uh, although we keep talking about not knowing when it's going to arrive, the arrival is in sight. That's fair to say, don't you think, Rob? It's not. It's not. And Patrick, it's not. It's not like it's another. I don't think we're waiting another year. Uh, by any means, so I think you're going to find something that you like after you look around and it could very well be Angular 2 and I don't think you're going to be uh, I think it's going to be a fine choice, I don't think you're going to ever regret it.
1: I think if you like Angular 1, then you will love Angular 2, I think mm-hmm. is the way that I think about it, right? Like, if you're an Angular dev now and you like it and you, you kind of like the things about Angular that makes Angular Angular then Angular 2 kind of carries over all those concepts but makes a lot of them ten times better, right? And I think that that's kind of the, the, the way to think about it for me.
2: And I, I don't think it was question. just us
1: that felt that way. I noticed that at the
2: hackathon. The people who... There was there were groups. Most of the people had some Angular 1 experience. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I guess the question, though, is... And, and I can totally see this from the point of view of being a contractor. I mean, I've, I've done a fair amount of that. So how do you explain to your client when they come to you and say, well, Angular 2 isn't out yet, and you want to use Angular 1... How can we boil this down to a good explanation of why to go with Angular or, you know, whether or not they should go ahead and pick React?
4: I would I would say that the community is a lot more advanced because it's been here for, like, six mm-hmm. years, right? And the React community is still just beginning, so not everything is built out. Um, they're still, like, right now, um, if anyone's in the React world, they'll know that, like, there's kind of this thing of, everyone trying to figure out, like, what's a good router now, because, like, everything changed, and then now they're like, oh, well, let's use this router. It's like, let's do this router. In Angular, you at least have a baseline experience of everything. You have, like, a router provider for you and everything, um, but more on the point of, of Angular 1, like, um, everything's already set in there for you. Like, you could Google uh, pretty much an error and find it a Stack Overflow. Like, everything's there, and, and the thing is, like, you could build uh, really, really fast with Angular 1, um, and that's kind of, like, its strengths is that you could prototype things um, extremely fast
5: with it. If you want to build applications that work for your business today, Angular 1's a great way to go. It's mature and it works and there's problems we've already fallen into holes on and climbed our way out of with Angular 1 that we haven't done so on other frameworks that are younger and less mature.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense to me. And ultimately, if you're a contractor and you're talking to folks, I do another show on freelancing where we talk about this stuff. And, I mean, find out what the problems that they need solved are and then explain how you'll solve solve them with Angular 1. And then if they're concerned, well, what about Angular 2 coming out? Then you can say, look, if you need the performance characteristics or the other advantages that come out of Angular 2 when it comes out, then they've got a really clean and clear upgrade path. But for right now, let's get something out there that works and works well and give them the value proposition on what you're going to do for them, as opposed to quibbling over technology. The other thing is, is that you, as the contractor or programmer, are the expert in the technology. They aren't. And so um, I'm not saying you go beat them over the head with that, but I, I have pointed out to several people that you know you hired me to understand the technology for you, and this is the way I understand it.
2: I'm going to throw another thing in. into the pot which is which is this i've been spending my time here looking at at some angular two and i knew angular one and i would say that i know for everything i ever did in angular one how i would do it in angular two i know exactly how to get from point a to point b i can't say that i would know how to get because i don't know react that well or some of these other frameworks that well so i can't give you that assurance that everything you do and almost the way you do it, not talking syntax here, but the way you think about solving a problem. I know the exact way to get from whatever it is you're doing today in Angular 1 to wherever the way you're going to do it in Angular 2. And it's not going to be a hard leap. Now, you can trust me, you cannot trust me, whatever, but I know that as much as I know my own name, and I think some of the others of us who have been living with Angular two would be able to give that make that
1: same statement. I'm looking at some nodding heads, but go ahead and say it guys. I would say that's that's absolutely the mm-hmm. case. And having having been in the guts of it for a while, I think that a huge amount of the concepts poured over, right? Like the the names of some things changed and okay, we're going back and forth on some names of some things right now, but I think conceptually, everything you know how to do in Angular 1 will pretty much port over to Angular 2. It'll just be that much better, right? And I think we keep having this, like, Angular versus React discussion, and I, I don't know that that's a, a valid... Because it's really, if you're going to choose React, you choose React, and then you've got to choose some way to manage your data. I don't know, are we going to do Redux, or are we going to do Flux, or are we going to do, you know, Reflux, whatever the 12... different There are not... Flux. <laughs> It's a not the same sort of decision. I think there is actually a reflux now.
2: Uh, oh, there, there should there be, and, and it ha- makes acid guarantees, so therefore <laughs> it's acid
5: reflux. Oh, you beat me to that
1: one, man.
0: Oh, I knew it was coming.
1: So yeah, yep. and I think like it's it maintains the same sort of like complete, I don't know, complete package that you get from Angular 1, right? It's just everything... That much better. I'm going to say that probably like 12 more times.
5: Well, I'll go. I'll go one for, a step further on you in that, Rob. That's if you're going to use React, use React. Go for it. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not going to try to stop anybody from using any framework they want to use. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you want to use Angular 2, go for it. I, I don't think anybody should be trying to convince anybody else to use a framework, right? We should. If you want to use Angular, you want to use React. Go for it. I do believe that today that it's a great idea to start looking at Angular 2 and figuring out how it works, whatever, so you can make your own evaluation and your own determination on what you can build tomorrow when it comes out. But uh, I'm not going to sit here and say, use Aurelia, use React, use Angular. Make your own determination.
0: That's true. I mean, we are looking for results, right? Does it work? Does it do what it needs to do? I think we also kind of answered this other question, but I'm going to pull it out because it's, it's a similar question, and that is, I'm a beginner in programming, I've been learning Angular as my first framework. Should I go ahead with Angular 1 or wait for Angular 2 and stop wasting my time on Angular? If I should continue with Angular 1, will there still be job opportunities with Angular 1 skills or not? And I think we've said, you know, all of the concepts translate through, Uh, you know, all of the uh, experience is going to be very relevant from Angular 1, to Angular 2. Is there anything you want to add to that from somebody coming in as a beginner?
1: If you want a job today, Angular 1 is probably still the best framework. There, there are a billion Angular jobs out there, right, at the moment. Yep. They're not going away anytime soon. I, I think that if you learn Angular 1, then you can be the awesome guy who comes in, you know, a year from now and, and helps them upgrade to Angular 2, and you kind of get the best of both worlds. But, And again, like like everybody else has said, though, you know, it's if you're a new programmer, you should be learning best practice programming, right? Best, best practice application development. And that applies to Angular 1, Angular 2, React, Aurelia, whatever you want, right? Like, that's your focus should very much be how do I properly architect architect an application regardless of of the the sort of tech stack behind it.
3: I would just like to point out that people are still making money writing classic ASP. (laughs)
0: True. All right, let's go ahead
3: and get the next question.
0: Uh, The next one is to TypeScript or not to TypeScript, Angular 2?
1: Yes, TypeScript, absolutely. TypeScript, yeah. Next. TypeScript. (laughs) Anyone disagree? (laughs)
2: No, I can't. I mean, the more you, the more you spend time with it and with the tooling that supports it, the more you say, uh, hey, I'm, I'm glad to have it.
1: Um, and I guess I will, I will mention, one of the big kind of irritating things, if you like, about TypeScript previously has been this idea of the, of like the, the TSD or the, the TS or whatever, you know, the D.TS file, mm-hmm. and then this kind of TSD indefinitely definitely types and, and all the kind of rigmarole that goes along, along with that. The TypeScript team in 1.6 has added some really cool stuff uh, as far as, like, getting types distributable through NPM. So that whole kind of ecosystem, if you've used it before, is improving very, very rapidly. And I think that, if you like, we've sort of dragged TypeScript into the light, and it's, it's improving very, very rapidly, and the tooling around it. Um, I think the next maybe two builds from now, Bangular 2, will be sort of, like, three steps, and you're up and running with types, not a completion, and everything. Like it's, once it's up and running, it's amazing. And I would say the challenge right now is there's a little bit of configuration to get it working properly, but I have seen the future of that, and it looks really, really awesome. So,
2: We had, John and I had a very funny experience yesterday at the hackathon. We would watch people who were new to TypeScript taking it on, and they would start typing away in something like Visual Studio Code, and the IDE would be sitting there and telling them what the method was going to be and how to spell it, and everybody is so used to not having any help whatsoever that they would ignore all the help that they were getting and keep typing and scratching their head and wondering how it was spelled. And the idea is saying, hey, it's right here. I'll even tell you how to use it. You know, It's going to take a while for people to get used to the idea that maybe, just maybe, a language support could be helpful.
5: Yeah, I'll, I'll put it this way. So instead of saying, should I use TypeScript, let me ask people back. Would you like it if you could make less errors in your code? Would you like it if you could know what the API is for all the methods? Would you like it if it would autocomplete? Would you like it if it told you when you did something wrong before you actually ran the app? If you like these things, you may be a TypeScript addict.
0: That's just crazy talk.
1: It is. It is really pretty crazy when it's when you get autocomplete. It's pretty pretty awesome. And I would say, like, even if you're not gonna do anything there too, like TypeScript in general. Yeah, like, if and if you've you've even slightly considered using ES6, you're sort of 90% of the way to TypeScript anyway, so you might as well just make the extra 10% jump, right? And I think ES6 is an absolute no-brainer. You should use that, and if you're going to use that, you might as well use TypeScript.
5: Yeah, and to chime in with what Ward said about the hackathon, it was shocking to me how many people I saw who literally, one guy was typing in a component's name. The component name was like, uh, I don't know, character, details, thing, components big, long 30-character name, and what they did is they started typing the whole darn thing in, and immediately, three letters in, it's like, this is the name, and they were misspelling it and keep going back, and the editor's blinking at them going, dude, it's right here, dude, it's right here, dude, and I'm just watching it looking going, wow, and this was multiple people all night long, and it's not, this is not bad people, right, this is behavior, we're all driven to these tools, and for years, they haven't given us any help, and now they're screaming at us, and I think it's going to be amazing when people uh, look up and see what's happening.
0: One other thing I want to point out with this, at Angular Remote Conf, we had probably four or five examples of basically live coding. Usually the downfall with live coding is that your internet goes out, but with a remote conference, if your internet goes out, the live coding snafus don't matter. But anyway, um, it was really interesting because a lot of times, all of the information for the component, including the Uh, the template and some of the data definitions and things were all in the same file. And so it was all in the same place, all of the information that you needed, including inline templates and everything else, because they built it in TypeScript and were kind of uh, making it all work out that way. And my experience with other frameworks, um, I'm thinking Rails in particular, where you have a, a data model and then you have the controller and then you have the view and you, they're all in different files, it was really nice to see that everything was kind of in the same place. And, you know, if TypeScript gets you there uh, more easily than using ES6 or ES5, then it makes a lot of sense for me just to be able to put all that information in the same place.
1: And, you know, I think we've all, like, at some point as an Angular developer, you've probably complained about the Angular documentation at some point. It's massively improved over the years, but I think that, you know, you still have to go look it up and find out where it is on the web page. And to be able to just put your cursor over some class or something and have the IDE pop the docs up for you is, is pretty incredible, right? Like, the amount of times, so I don't think, I don't know that I go and jump into the Angular docs much with TypeScript, right? Like, I, I think you'll just hover over it, it'll tell you what it's about, and if you document your own code, it'll tell you about your own code, which is just ridiculous, right? Like, it's, it's awesome.
5: And if you click on one of the things in, like, VS Code, for example, you click on one of the Angular things, like a router, uh, it'll actually take you right to the definition of it in the source code, which is pretty awesome.
1: So yes, TypeScript, absolutely do it. All right,
0: Uh, the next question is, how do you integrate third-party libraries like Firebase or D3 into an NG2 app, taking into account that NG2 runs on one-way data flow paradigm fueled by an Rx implementation?
2: Uh, You just use it? I don't know. I mean, if anything, some of these things are easier to use than they would have been under Angular 1. I'll give you a quick example. Let's suppose you decided to use jQuery.ajax to make your your calls to go get the the data. You can do that. Now, if if you remember your Angular 1, you have to remember when the callback comes in to call the apply, because if you don't do that, um, your angular one app doesn 't know that you went off that you were cheating on them and cheating on them, and you left HTTP behind and you went out with that cute jQuery Ajax and so it just doesn 't know that you were cheating, but Angular Two knows you were cheating it knows you used jQuery Ajax it knows that it came back and it just fits right in so uh, so many of the different libraries that you may choose to use play more naturally with Angular 2 than they did in Angular 1. So actually, I I think it's a strength of Angular 2.
1: And I think we should say, like, that the fact that there is this one-way data flow paradigm and then Rx is in the core, and there's a lot of kind of reactive sort of things, and I talked about that at Remote Conf, right? That's awesome, and it's great, and it's I think it does some really amazing stuff, but it's not... Required, right? Like there is still two-way data binding. It works slightly differently, but for all intents and purposes, it, it is still two-way data binding, right? And so, I, again, like I think the way you think about it doesn't really change. The way that it works under the under the hood might change a little bit, right? But you're still going to write a directive, or you're still going to write a component, right? That wraps your I don't know your jQuery calendar or whatever. And so, yeah, I, again, I think it's like the same kind of paradigms exist there, and it's.
2: Actually, you bring up something, which I think is even better, where you used to have to write a directive in order to interact with some of these things. In many cases, you don't have to write a directive at all. You yes. no longer have to say, oh, I, I'm stuck. I want to touch that thing in a way that it's not been touched before. I guess I'll have to go off and write a directive about it. No, oftentimes you can just use the this, this straight-out Angular 2 binding to hook right up to whatever that thing is, and you're good to go. So a lot of the mess of, of custom directives goes out the window.
4: True remember that Angular 2 is more of, like, pushing everything into the language and standards. So, example, like, um, one of the requirements is working well with Polymer, and Polymer uses all the native event system and everything. So, like, uh, more to to your point, like, you could use some other, like, uh, third-party library that takes control of a, over an element and then emits a native event, and you could hook into that with Angular 2, and that's great.
2: And, and you didn't have to write anything special because you were yep. just using Angular 2 the way it was intended to be used.
5: Yep. The key to this stuff is that when you're using Angular 2, you're really just using ECMAScript 6 or, or TypeScript. There's very few Angularisms that you're playing with. So using other libraries is actually easier in that sense because you don't have to worry about, oh, that's the Angular way. It's really just the JavaScript way.
0: So just using powerful language features that you already have because you're using ES6 or TypeScript
5: yeah, there's less things in your way.
0: All right, the next question is the TypeScript autocomplete slash help, etc that we were discussing before, what tools or IDEs are we talking about?
1: Uh, in theory, anything that supports TypeScript. So uh, the Angular team is using a lot of Visual Studio code, which is a really awesome thing. Um, I think WebStorm does this. Visual Studio does this. Uh, I mean, pfft, I would think that probably any sort of modern IDE that speaks TypeScript should be able to, to work with this. I pretty much use Visual Studio Code all the time now. Atom does this for sure. Um, I think Sublime probably will. I don't know. I can't speak for anything there's, on this.
2: There's a plugin for Sublime that does this stuff, yeah. And yeah. Visual Studio, you know, like if you're a .NET programmer, I know there must be about three of them out there. I was shocked I had to do some of the stuff in Visual Studio directly. I have fired that up often recently. It does a fine job of working with TypeScript. Really superb.
0: I've also seen plugins for uh, Emacs. I use Emacs. And I've seen plugins for Emacs that do the kind of type ahead lookup and uh, autocomplete and things like that. And um, it has TypeScript support for... For Emacs as well, I've seen several plugins for it. So, you know, I i haven't hooked those up yet, but I'm pretty sure that you can find plugins probably for even Emacs and Vim that will do a lot of what we're talking
5: about here. Let me clarify something, too, that I think, and all those editors do have it. I've seen it in all of them, especially the hackathon we did yesterday. People use their own tool, but the one thing, the reason I like VS Code as well is that in all those editors, you have to add in a TypeScript plugin to make it work, which is fine, but in VS Code, it's actually baked in. Uh, so TypeScript is actually baked into a Visual Studio Code. So if you want to use that, you download it and you're you go. The other ones you download your tool like Atom, and then you just add the plugin uh, for TypeScript and it's good to go.
1: And I think like me being like I'm a total OS 10, you know, open source guy, and for me to be espousing the benefits of like Microsoft's IDE for me is should tell you how awesome it really is, right? Like that for me is 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 incredible that I'm I'm using a Microsoft language and a Microsoft IDE on my Mac. Every day, and it's it's what I want to use, right? Like it's 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 a choice, and I love it. Like it's really, really, really good. So, check out VS Code for sure.
0: All right. The next question is, what is the current state of the Angular two router?
1: Oh boy,
5: oh man.
0: <laughs> it's kind of an open-ended question, isn't it?
1: Uh, functional, but not yet done. I think is is a good way to put that. Right? Oh, like, Rob, yeah. that's how nice diplomatic. You oh, you're, you're a
5: prince. <laughs> He's
3: the politician.
5: It works. Uh, everything I've tried to do with it uh, for major functionality works perfectly fine. Uh, there are a few minor things, not big gaps, but minor gaps. Things like the otherwise route and stuff like that that we had, I think that need to be filled in. It's a little awkward in a few places, and I think that's a fair way to say it, meaning I can make it do what I want. But, for example, let me give you a concrete example. If you want to have a link, an href, and you want to go from one place to another with the router, it uh, kind of works like UI Router does. But instead of saying, hey, go to the route named this, you have to tell it, go to the route named this, but wrap that inside of this array and then pass it a an object in that array that tells you the parameter name and the parameter value. And you end up putting a lot of stuff in there that it doesn't feel as natural as it should, in my opinion. It works great, but I think there's some syntactic sugar that you can do that easier.
1: And, and yeah. yeah. Like to be to be less diplomatic, and I will put my friend here. Right, is that like that the the Angular One router that we all nobody uses because we all use the UI router at, is is kind of what it is. And I think that the Angular Two router learns a lot from that. But one of the cool things about Angular Two is it has this uh, I think it's currently called dynamic component loader, right? And its whole job is to like pull stuff off disk and pop it into somewhere on the screen. And so a couple of weeks ago, I put together a plunker using reactive extensions and, and some of that. And, like, I wrote a pretty functional basic router in, like, 30 lines of code, right? So if the Angular router isn't going to do what you want to do, um, and I know the UI router guys are talking about how we're going to do UI router 2 for, for Angular 2, but, like, the, it's so kind of... The, I guess the framework provides you the tools to do really whatever you want. So if you wanted to build your own router, you had some special use case where you wanted to dynamically load components and build a dashboard or whatever... That kind of stuff you could do without too much trouble in Angular 2. So, again, I think that the framework is providing some pretty awesome tools, and the router, the current router, is just one kind of implementation of that, if you
4: like. Yeah, more on the the, the syntax. So, like, you know, it has more of what John's talking about, like, the, the router link. So the, the reason why it's the API is a little bit more terse is for another feature in Angular 2, and that's, like, uh, ASC templates. So being able to say, like, R colon the arguments in a very, like, sugary way, like, that's going to be available, and I think Rob can talk more about it, or maybe not, but, like, essentially, like, that's the reason why it's more terse now, but, like, it's just another layer of sugar that's going to be added later, and um, to more of the point of features missing, I would say, like, I had a hard time, like, trying to figure out, like, a, how to convert uh, a simple application with named routes, this is a UI router feature, to Angular 2, there's also, like, missing, like, abstract routes, but, like, not a lot of people actually use these, like, I would say, like, advanced features in UI router. But, yeah, it's coming along. Like, uh, async uh, components is in there, and that's, like, it's really, really easy. It's, like, ten lines if you can actually look at the source code, so it's pretty cool.
5: Yeah, I, mean, I think if you start at the bottom and build up, I mean, the concepts yeah. are solid, I believe, in the, in the router, and I yep. believe the functionality is there. To be fair, let's look at data binding, right? When data binding was first announced in Angular 2, Everyone kind of went, oh, my gosh, how are we going to write all that long syntax? And the way things work is you get it to work, and that's the single team's done. They get the concepts right, then they get it to work, and then they work on the usability of it. And I think the router and data binding is much more usable now, and I think router is at that stage now where it's let's just smooth off the edges, let's polish these corners, uh, let's make it a little more usable uh, from a developer standpoint. I, I think it's a good thing to use. I just think that it's not uh, – not intuitive in some ways right now
1: Agreed. Okay. and I think this is a good place where like you should you should download John papa's repo right like you do that like, you're, you're, you got a demo like play with it and I think that this is a good time to try it out and see okay what don't I like what do I like and I think John a couple of times has said like I've seen issues from him that said oh, it would be better if we did this right and now is a good time to sort of try it out and figure out what would what could be better right like I think being their team is is 30 people who are who can make the you know, of so their own make their own best guesses, but this is a good time to try stuff out and say, you know, maybe this could be better, maybe this is a good thing, and I think you opened that issue about, like, the active link or whatever, John. You know, again, that's like a feature that... Yeah, the
5: active link was one, and another, you know, it's funny, the hack last night, Word and I found some interesting things, like, you have to use title case now for your route names or your ases, they call them as, which is a weird name, so using the title case tripped a lot of people up last night. A big one was using the tuple inside of the, uh, inside of the link, people up. Uh, we had a lot of people really struggle to use the router last night in the hackathon, and it kind of surprised me because while I'm not necessarily uh, happy with the way its usability is, I thought that it would be something that you could just say, oh, I get the syntax, move forward. Um, Ward, don't you think that was your impression too, or did you say something different?
2: No, I, I saw the same thing. Now, I have a rat hole here, which is I can't understand why anybody would ever use a tuple in a public API. I think it's nifty cool internally as you're working things over, but can anybody tell me why they would ever say, wow, the public API for my widget is a tuple? Is there a worse choice than that? I throw that out there for new architects.
4: Yeah, again, like uh, I mentioned a little bit, but it's it's more of like uh, what is the super secret, like, amazing features of Angular 2, and that's uh, A C bindings. So basically the the syntax for the router in that case would be like R or router, then colon, and then the the argument. So there's going to, like, again, there's going to be more sugar, but it's in the future. But the benefit of this, like, refactor, again, this refactor is literally, like, pushed in a few days ago. But um, one of the, the cool things about it is that you could convert your template into a tree. Just think of it as a JavaScript, just JSON tree, and then you're able to figure out, like, the components. So think of it as, like, one of the cool features is, like, being able to mimic one of the the features in the browsers, and that's, like, pre-fetching links. So you could actually crawl the template, figure out what links are in this particular template, and then get the component out of there, and then from there you're able to figure out, like, what data is needed. And then uh, from there you could, like, walk the whole component tree. There's a lot of, like, really cool advanced stuff you could do in Angular 2 because of this, like, future factor, but, again, like, there's reasons for, like, this terseness. now. It's more of, like, they're just going to add more sugar later, hopefully.
1: Yeah, I think that the new compiler that landed a couple of days ago, it definitely caused some issues in 38, but I think that it's a huge step forward, and I think it's going to enable some really super cool stuff like that, like sugar, and I have some ideas with observables on that, and like the one of the cool, the really cool things about it is it does um, like offline template compilation. So effectively, you can write your templates, and then as a build step for production, you can. Pre compile them into JavaScript, which means startup time is faster, and it's, you know, like there's a lot of really cool stuff that it's enabled. And so, yeah, I think that 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 kind of thing will definitely get better for sure.
0: Wow, all of that off of what's the current state of the Angular 2 router?
1: And 7,000 less lines of code, is what I was told. All
0: right, we have three questions uh, left in the hopper here, and one of them is kind of a, a large open ended question, but we'll hit these first two and then we'll see where we get with the last one. So the first one is any really good recent D3 slash Angular resources? What are some things to look at in regards to performance when implementing D3 with Angular? Pondering redoing a rather large view in D3. Uh,
4: I can touch that a little bit. So this goes, this goes all the way back to what we're talking about of... So I'm going to talk in terms of like Angular 2 but it applies to Angular 1. So in Angular 2, you're able to interact with these polymer components which are just like black boxes. They're just this random like HTML and then it emits native events, and then you interact with it. So you do the exact same thing with with D3. You uh, interact with this directive, and inside the directive, you do your D3 thing as you normally would. And basically, what you would do is like, whenever you get new data, you just tell D3 to re-render, and then D3 will just manage that. And that's like, the same thing applies for angle one and two, and that's how you would interact with the the two. I actually have a talk on this on ngVegas. About
1: uh, D3 and Angular. Nice. And I, I think the short answer to that is like there's, there's a lot of stuff that like it's gonna work the same, but I think that it'll be really cool to see what happens when people start to, like what does an Angular 2 D3 kind of D3 spec library look like, or like a you know a D3 I don't know component library that's built for Angular 2. What can we do with that? Can we you know make it reactive? What kind? There's I think there's some really cool stuff that'll come with this. Um, and that's, I'm looking at kind of the same thing, so if whoever asked that question wants to tweet me about it, I'd love to chat about it, because that's something yeah. I'm looking
4: at for sure. It's also worth noting that the D3 is still in the jQuery days, and I say that as in, like, the declarative, like, querying days. Like, what Rob's saying is, like, it would be way better to then, like, use the actual templating system to, like, you know, actually manage your SVGs, essentially. And I think someone made that uh, in Angular 1 so it might be a good idea to like convert that to angle too, and then uh, add more sugar.
2: Um. Another thought about this is that I, I, what I didn't get from the question was what the motivation was to go to D three. It might have been to make some things that they were uh, would have could have done another way more performant, and in that case, you'll get at the you'll have the opportunity to reconsider your motivation and the outcome because now that you can do things not only with dirty checking, but with immutable objects and with event-based objects, some of the forces that might have driven you to say, "Well, how, maybe I should do this in D3, maybe those forces are no longer present and you'll be able to do it in a way that is more natural to the problem that you have in front of me. I, again, that's not a knock on D3. That's just simply a question. I, don't, I can't tell why you're taking an existing view and moving it to D3. I just don't understand that part.
0: All right, next question. This one's addressed to Lucas. I am attending... Angular Connect in two weeks. Should I see the real Angular Keynote or well-behaved Angular 2 components with Jeremy
3: and Tobias? So, the official answer is you should see the well-behaved Angular Keynote. <laughs> the real well-behaved Angular really 2 Keynote component. Angular. And that's going to be me. Shy is going to be the misbehaved Angular Keynote. So, <laughs> be a real good cop, bad cop routine there. Oh, no, I've said too much.
0: All right, so the last question, this is the one that is open-ended. I think we could do an entire episode on this question, and that, that's why I'm, I'm saying we'll see where we get. And I'm also okay just punting and saying we'll cover this in a future episode. Uh, the question is how to structure a big Angular application. With John Papa's style guide.
4: <laughs> Next.
2: <laughs> Mic drop.
4: It depends on everything, uh, the use case. Yeah.
2: Well, I read once that the secret to writing a really large app is to not write a really large app.
5: <laughs> yeah bingo, bingo. Uh, uh,
2: so uh, and that applies no matter what technology you adopt but you make a big app and you're going to make a big mess and I don't care what the technology is. That doesn't mean the problem set isn't big. That doesn't mean the features that you have to deliver aren't big. But the first thing you go after is to figure out how to break that down into into sensibly sized workflows and models and processes and see how you can make those operate uh, as independently from each other as possible, and then weave them together in a sensible way so that the user feels comfortable as they move from one for- workflow to another. That's just good general advice. A- and after that, it's, um, it's all commentary. It's all following the guidelines that you've seen. John's guidelines kind of lead you in that direction.
1: And I think one of the one of the really neat things, having kind of tried to build a couple of things with it now, is that, the idea of this component as, like, you know, it's not directives and element directives. There's not seven ways to do everything now. There's, there are effectively components, and I call them services or whatever you want to call them, right? But the, what, what Ward said there about, like, don't build a gigantic application, I think is, like, what you can kind of think about it is, is you're building a bunch of tiny little applications, right? Like each component is sort of a mini app, if you like and that's mini-apps inside of mini-apps. So each little kind of component becomes this, this unit that you can move around, and the router is really good at that, right? Like, if you think about the routers just moving you from mini-app to mini-app is a good way to think about it. Again, this is kind of stuff that we'll, we'll learn as we start to build them, but I think that the idea of a component, and again, going back to React, is kind of how React thinks about it as components, right? Like, that, that is like a miniature app that you can kind of think about in isolation, I think is a, is a good way to think about it. And then the, the thing that DI gives us is the ability to kind of, as you said, weave these things together and share stuff between them. And so yeah, I, I think that that's going to be an interesting question to learn about, but definitely like a bunch of components and, and like in an Angular 1 app and like in any good app, really thin kind of UI stuff and, and the vast majority of your logic in, in services or whatever you want to call them, right? Like it's, it's model view controller but with a different name, basically.
5: Yeah, I've been calling, uh, you call them components and services. I do the same thing, but I also look at them more theoretically as nouns and verbs, right? We've got things in Angular 2 that are the nouns. They're the things that exist in our app. And then we've got those are components, and then we've got the verbs. Those are things that are going to provide something, uh, some kind of service to our application. You know, filters, pipes, whatever you want to call them, services, classes. Those things are all actionable uh, things that provide those components. Things. So it's really just two flavors. Uh, the way I break it down.
2: I think that the other uh, unsung thing of testing an app, big or small, but especially big, is hey, how about writing some tests? <laughs> You know it would be a bar it would be just like no no don 't rob shaking his head no don 't write tests who wants those things You're at uh, test. You're yeah. time out. I know. I can't wait to go to a client and see tests. But really, that's something that you should be able to do. That's something that uh the framework you choose should be uh, helping you make your way through it and you know be able to write tests sufficiently and feel good about them as you as you write them. And that's also something I think that Angular two is going to be good at is it's I, gonna I, be I, easier to write your tests.
1: Testing had better be good in Angular Two or Ward is gonna lose it because yeah. Ward- <laughs> Ward, it's hard to make testing awesome in Angular 2.
5: What know? do you mean, going to lose it? <laughs>
1: uh,
2: I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to go crazy. I'm coming right to your house, and I'm going to get you if you don't
5: test.
1: If you're worried about testing Angular 2, I can tell you that Ward has got you covered. Like, Definitely. He's going to solve that problem. So, True story, bro.
5: I think it's fair to say Ward Bell knows more about testing Angular 2 than anybody in this world at this moment in time.
1: (laughs) Nah, you're
2: killing me. You guys are killing me. You're just trying to, you know. But keep it up, though. Keep it coming.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think we've been going for about an hour, so uh, I'm going to cut the questions off here. But uh, do we want to do picks real quick, or do we want to just end the show? Sure. All right. We'll go ahead and do some quick picks. We'll start with uh, the guys that aren't usually on the show. Patrick, do you have a pick or two for us?
4: Oh, man. So I didn't plan for this, but my pick would be Angular 2.
1: <laughs> That's cheating. <but> okay. Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> now no one else could pick it. <laughs> All right, Rob, show them up.
1: So my pick would be slightly more specific. Um, I've just finished some refactoring on the Angular 2 HTTP library and if you maybe wait till the next bump, there'll be some cool new stuff in it, but I'd really like people to play with it and kind of tell me about it and tell me about your use cases because it's different than the first one. And so play with Angular 2 and observables is is how that works. So, like, my picks are definitely observables and specifically Angular 2's HTTP library because I'd love some input on how you're going to use it. There's an issue open on the Angular 2 repo right now about, like, transformers and interceptors and all that stuff that you do in Angular 1 today, um, I'd love you to play with the newer library and kind of tell me how you use it and what could be better and, and what kind of stuff you want to see.
0: All right, Ward, do you have a
1: pick for us? Testing. <laughs> no, that's not that's not my pick. Um, I
2: think my pick is go find yourself a hack a local hackathon. And surround yourself with other people who are stumbling around in the dark, because I, I noticed that it was it was really encouraging when I when I was talking to the other people who were attending there, and they got a lot out of working with each other, finding things out together, and uh, sh- realizing that they had the same questions as other people, and finding out what uh, the different ways in which those questions could be answered. And, and it's, so it's a great way to get your feet wet, rather than doing it you know in the clo- in your closet at
1: home. Oh, can I jump back in? I have one that I just remembered if you don't mind. Sure. Somebody asked a question about uh, sort of two-way data binding in this one-way paradigm and, you know, how we sort of integrate with things and how we build custom components and and one-way data flow versus two-way data binding. If you check out angulartips.com, Jesus has just written a really good little article on, like, how to build your own components. Um, And I think it's a really good kind of introduction to the basic mechanics of how to build a component. So uh, Angular2 or angulartips.com is a good pick for sure.
0: All right. John, do you have some picks for us?
5: My pick is uh, Visual Studio Code. I think you want to find a good editor that you really love, but uh, I've been really loving VS Code lately, and especially for its TypeScript and Angular 2 support. uh, It's been doing great. And they just added uh, recently, just now, I think, uh, theme support, so you can customize and create your own themes from uh, pretty much any TextMate theme. So uh, I know that's an important thing in my stable. I like my themes. I like to do dark, so Ward can't see my code. (laughs) All right, Lucas, you have some picks for us?
3: I do. So I thought, uh, actually, Rob's talk that he gave at Angular Remote Conf, everything is a stream. I've actually watched that twice. I thought it was pretty awesome. I think the, hopefully the video will be available someday, somehow. And can I,
2: can I just pile on and say I really thought so, too? And not just because Rob is there staring at me, but it's true. It was really well done.
3: I yeah, don't know
5: anything
0: was... about when the videos will come out.
5: Hopefully yeah, I watched the live stream. I observed that very closely.
3: Whoa, I see what you did there. Uh huh. They, they'll, they'll come out in about a month and a half. Yay! So anyways, that was a great talk, but as a result of that, I started actually looking at Andre Staltz, who has done a lot of really good work on RSJS, and uh, there's actually a series on Egghead about reactive programming. And so I watched that over the weekend, and it was just phenomenal. Like, pew.
1: Yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome series to watch. Yep. I subscribe to that
2: theory, and I expect you to map your way right to it.
0: We actually recorded an episode about RXJS yesterday on JavaScript Jabber, so keep an eye out for that as well. I've got a couple of picks. Uh, I've been doing a video journal on Periscope talking about what I'm thinking about, my business and things like that. And since we have a video I will show off what I have here. So I spent like 2 dollars and fifty cents on the little tripod that I've got here. And then this, this clip that I that goes on top of it, I've got a clip it's spring loaded and it's big enough to hold my iPhone 6 Plus. It's just spring loaded, so this one end of it comes out. Um, it's got these rubber ends on it that hold the phone in place, so that when I'm talking to my phone, I can just set it in front of me, and then you know you get this nice view of my face. But it's been working out really well, and I really, I've, I've really enjoyed being able to kind of get feedback from people on uh, some of the stuff that I'm thinking about through Periscope. So uh, the Pixar Periscope. I'll put links to the tripod, I got it off of B&H Photo, and uh, the phone holder clip thingy that I got off of Amazon.
2: Um, I'm sorry, Chuck, what does the f- having the phone pressed to your face do for you, and how does that relate to, what is Periscope?
0: So Periscope is a way of basically doing a live video stream. It auto-tweets to Twitter when you do it, because Twitter owns it. And then the videos are available for 24 hours afterward. Um, incidentally, I'm also using a system called catch.me and catch is spelled with a K and it will actually download those videos for you off of uh, Periscope so that you can make them available for longer than 24 hours. And so I'm going to, I'm planning on embedding those onto my blog and, you know, just kind of having them out there so people can go back and watch them if they want and put them on a, a podcast feed because I've had some people asking where they can, uh, watch the older ones. So Anyway, it's just kind of an interesting thing that I'm doing uh, because I have people asking me questions about podcasting, about business, about programming, um, and they want to know what I'm up to. So I figure that's a good way to do it. And the other thing is is it gives me a chance to kind of think out loud about some of the stuff i got going on. Anyway, those are my picks. I just want to thank all of the folks who came. Uh, We had about 25 people at one point uh, watching or listening on Crowdcast. We'll probably do this again. I think it was a pretty positive thing. And so, uh, yeah, thanks everyone for coming. Thanks, Rob and Patrick, for being willing to jump in. And, uh I'd,
4: rather, I'd like to do this again. Yeah? I like Rob's background. It's like way better than my refrigerator.
0: Yeah, we're going to find out it's like a, a canvas behind
2: him or
4: something. Yeah,
2: it's all <laughs> it's, I'm waiting for the tiger to leap over the fence and bite his head. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm waiting for Patrick to go into that fridge and hand me a beer. Oh,
4: yeah. <laughs> I have tea.
0: That's not nearly as fun. All right. Oh, well, I'm going to go ahead and end the broadcast, but thanks again, everyone, for listening, and thanks to all our panelists for coming and answering questions. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can go to adventuresinangular.com/forum and sign up today.